If there was one word that Bob and I had the most debate about, I'll be pleasant about it, was the word care. Because the word care, there's a soft component to it that basically is kind of empathetic and it's very short-term focus. The word care is not a word that's associated very much with leadership. Google it and see how much you find. You don't find much. You find other words, but that's not one of them. And I think when you start to use words that have meaning like that, you start to do it more. So we need to start to use the word and understand what it is and then start to change habits to care more deeply about people. You walk into a healthcare clinic and the dialogue is quite different because they want to know where it hurts and they want to know how they can help you and they want to know how their services can make the conditions better. That's a deeper level of caring or service. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures. Share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Hello, And welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. This is Mitch Simon, your co-host, today your host on the West Coast. And today on the podcast, we've got Bob Dukach and Phil Clampett, co-authors of the book, Leading with Care in a Tough World Beyond Servant Leadership. Bob and Phil, longtime collaborators, draw on their years of innovative practice and research to describe with real-world experiences how leading with care enriches people, and transforms organizations in our challenging times. Today, we will explore how caring leaders produce extraordinary outcomes. Bob and Phil, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here, Mitch. It's great to have uh, time with you today. Great. And it's taken us a while to get this podcast on, on recorded, so I'm really glad we got this together. So can you tell us how the two of you met and decided to write a book together? Well, sure. There's two parts to the story, my part and Phil's part, and we need to tell you both of them. Okay, Um, super. So we've been working together for 30 years, Mitch, and uh, I was uh, running a, a manufacturing company at the time, and I was looking for somebody who could help me uh, consult on communication in an organization. How do I improve the communications channels? and the leadership, but mostly communications. And um, we met. He'll tell you how we met. And uh, I signed him up, and we kind of clicked, and we started writing together, wrote several articles, two previous books. We have two previous books to this together. Phil has written a couple of others besides that. But this is the capstone project at the moment, Leading with Care, and uh, we think it's the best of all of them. So we're happy to talk to you about it today. Yeah, from my perspective, right, Bob uh, called at the university. I had just uh, finished my PhD and I was feeling pretty cocky about what I knew about uh, everything uh, in regard to communication audits, which is what he called about. And I had studied with the best people in the world. And I'll never forget driving down with my partner thinking, this is exactly what I trained for. I'm ready to go. I'm feeling like a 10 or 11. And we started talking, sharing some ideas. And then Bob said, well, uh, Professor Clampett um, or Phil or whatever he called me at the time, he said, what does a world-class communication system look like? And I, I stumbled through an answer. 
and I, I didn't feel very good about it. And through all my studies, I had never been asked that question, although I should have been. And uh, I drove home and I said, well, they're never going to call us. He, Bob's never going to call me again because that was so awful of an answer. So I was, went from a 10 to a 1 pretty quickly. And uh, But he, you know, one of the geniuses of Bob, I think, is that he recognizes, um, you know, sparks of uh, ideas and, and he recognizes the greatness in other people if he can just bring it out. And so from there, we launched into do, doing quite a number of uh, projects on communication, leadership, management, a very variety of things. Sounds great. And so you guys have been together for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been around the block a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Well, great. Um, I want to ask you, over the last three years, um, when a lot of companies move to hybrid and virtual, what surprised you the most about leaders and their teams? Well, one of the things that surprised me most about the virtual environment is is how people have discovered, and I think it's an emerging, uh, when I say this, it's an emerging discovery that over time, uh, we've discovered what you need to do face-to-face, but also what you can do virtually. And so there are a lot of people who predicted at the beginning of, um, you know, COVID and everything that we were, productivity was going to take a nosedive. And it actually, it didn't. Uh, a lot of things, uh, a lot of a lot of activities actually increase productivity. But what we discovered is the power of face-to-face environment uh, for collaboration, cohesion, team building, a lot of things that are are hard to put your arms around and put and to put numbers to, but that's what's missing. And so I think there's a a greater appreciation of what can be accomplished in a virtual environment versus what needs to be accomplished face to face. And I think that's if there's anything positive that came out of COVID uh, from an organizational standpoint, that's one of the more more interesting and positive things that have come out. Yeah, and I would add, you know, we never could have gotten through COVID. Uh, without doing what we did and shut down, you know. Um, In spite of what we know now, we never could have gotten through that and kept businesses intact. So bravo for everybody who put their shoulder to the wheel and did that. However, uh, we're we're paying the price for that now in terms of engagement and the post-COVID ramifications of people not wanting to go back to work, some of them afraid, some of them are used to working at home and don't think they need to be together. Others who are yearning to be together. So the breadth of opinions about this are very wide. And leaders are finding that leadership takes on a whole different frame of reference when you've got uh, some kind of hybrid work environments. And so connection and engagement and uh, keeping people feeling like they're part of an organization is going to be a challenge going forward that the history books will write uh, wonderful essays about and try to analyze what actually happened. So the, the question that I have for you is um, when COVID started, engagement scores went through the roof up and now they have gone pretty low. In fact, I think a recent report from Gallup says only 15% of employees in the U.S. are truly, truly engaged in the workplace. So what is causing or what has caused such low engagement at this time? Well, those um, statistics from Gallup, and we quote those in the book and a couple of others, um, have been taken for many years, I mean, 10, 20 years. And the trend has continually been down in terms of people feeling 
engaged in organizations. Yes, it did come up at the beginning of COVID, but back down now even further. And I, I would say, we would say that the underlying conditions that are causing the disengagement uh, were there before COVID and they're more prevalent after COVID. And the things that you need to do to correct it uh, would need to have been corrected anyway. And those are the things that this book talks about. There's a deeper sense of leadership responsibility in terms of caring about people, paying attention to what they uh, need and want. That's the servant part. But also paying attention to what the organization needs, the mission of the organization, and getting people fired up and juiced up about how they re how they relate to the work they do to the mission of the organization to the point where they can feel themselves part of that mission. And that particular connection has not been done well by leaders in general. And that's, we think, what's causing this 15%. Because if you think about 15% engagement, and if the leadership yeah. models that we all tout whether it's servancy or participation or the quality movement or anything else, if those things were working to cause engagement, we wouldn't see statistics like this. And we need to fix this problem. The other statistic that's stunning is uh -huh. that, that Sam Gallup poll says 70% of employees say they would work harder mm -hmm. if they felt more appreciated. Now, that's the same 70% of the people who feel they're overworked now. Everybody feels like they're overworked, but 70% say they'd work harder if they felt more appreciated. That's low-hanging fruit. It doesn't cost anything to cause leaders to appreciate their people, and it's not happening to the degree it needs to. So I'm, I'm always curious because when COVID happened, it seemed like leaders or in general, for the most part, started to really take care of their employees, started to be interested in their employees started to say, gosh, what might my, my employees be going through and how can I support them? Now, maybe I'm just, um, maybe I'm living in an imaginary world, but I'm just wondering with everything that happened and with at least the generic leadership books basically saying, you know, you just need to be more interested in your employees and you will get more engagement. What did, did the last three years teach a lot of leaders nothing? Were they already just awful and then just didn't listen to um, what was happening in the environment? Or are, are people just lazy or forgetful? I'm just wondering what you think. I think they're habitual. Okay. It's a different word. And the story I'm going to tell you about that, I do a lot of executive coaching. And I'm working with a middle-level executive right now. I was just with him this past week. And he's reading the book in deep, in, in, in depth. And he says, you know, as I read this and as I go through the self-assessment exercises, he said, I thought I knew all of this stuff and I thought I was doing it, but I wasn't doing it as deeply as you're suggesting that I need to do it. And he said, I wasn't doing it nearly enough. I do it when it occurred to me. And I had a different set of habits that I was discharging as I worked with people. And he said, I'm now creating a new list of habits. I have a, a little list that I keep in front of me every day and I read it at the beginning of every day. And I say to myself, I'm gonna consciously change the leadership habits that I'm using 
to work with people. And he said, it's amazing what kind of changes that has going on in my mind as to how I work with members of my team. So in that way, I think we get into habits about how we do anything, right? We get into habits about what we eat and how we say things and how we lead. And it must be good because it's, that's how we do it. But it's not coming across in a way that's connecting to people like it could. So before we get into those habits, because I'd love to have a list of those habits, I just have to ask both of you, what does it mean? So the book title is Leading with Care in a Tough World. What does it mean to lead with care? Well, I think what, actually, it's very interesting you asked that question, because if there was one word that Bob and I had the most debate about, I'll be pleasant about it, was the word care. Because the word care, um, there's a soft component to it that basically is kind of, you know, that it's just empathetic and it's very short-term focus. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's very important. But the way Bob was using the word care and the way we want to use the word care is a much more profound uh, sense of deeper caring that I would argue is more like investing in people and as opposed to um, as opposed to some just surface level empathy, uh, which people can fake, to be honest with you. And a lot of people have learned to do that. Uh, Bob has a wonderful example, which I'll let him tell you in just a minute. But uh, he talks about the difference between somebody who is a uh, who, who works in a restaurant and providing customer service versus a healthcare professional, and how that creates a different level of caring. And so we're talking more like a healthcare professional. Uh, orientation. But I'll let Bob take that, Pete, because it's a beautiful analogy he created. Yeah, so the metaphor, if you walk into your favorite restaurant and mm-hmm. waiter comes up to you and, you know, what would you like to drink, sir or madame? And uh, here's a menu. We have a great special tonight. Just make some choices. Here's my recommendation. Yes. And you feel like you're being served pretty well, right? There's uh-huh. a menu and you know, the service is good and everything else. You walk into uh, a healthcare clinic, uh, your favorite doctor or a nurse, and the, the, the dialogue is quite different because they want to know where it hurts and they want to know how they can help you. And they want to know um, how their services can make the conditions better. That's a deeper level of caring or service than uh, the restaurant. You wouldn't think of uh, a restaurant uh, person coming up to your table and starting to do a dietary assessment on you to say, I'm really concerned about your cholesterol, so can we have a discussion about what you're going to order tonight? Equally, you wouldn't expect to go into a healthcare clinic or an ambulatory surgery center and have them give you a menu of surgeries for today and say, well, which one would you like today? Mm -hmm. It's a more personalized, it's a more customized, it's I have your back. It's a sincerity and a genuine interest in the well-being of the person from a leadership standpoint. And it's that particular connection that I think it's that touch between the leader and the 
and, and, and the team member that isn't happening to the degree it could in enough cases. And, and I, I would argue, Mitch, that part of that, yeah. that metaphor that works really well, that analogy works really well, is that, you know, when you go to the doctor, you may come in complaining about X, and mm -hmm. you may hear that it's X, and you may think, I need X or Y to solve it, but the physician may see something completely different. And by negotiating and working together with them, you figure out that there's a completely different diagnosis and a different way to approach it. And you do, and the best physicians that I've encountered, uh, like my brother, who's a physician, uh, work together uh, to come up with a solution. And I think that's the the notion of caring that that we've been trying to put through in the um, in the book, and was frankly a, a source of a lot of discussion between the two of us because I was a little concerned that that people would say caring and they kind of go, you know, this is new agey kind of uh, wah, wah, wah right. kind of stuff. And it's not really deep and profound. And so you ask a great question. You're one that we debated for quite a while, to be honest with you. And that's exactly the point about us saying the positioning of the book is beyond servant leadership. So the servancy would be more like the restaurant person. How can I help you today? What would you like? And for a leader to do that with an employee, uh, that only goes so far. The deeper connection is important, but it's not only the connection with the individual, it's the connection with the mission of the organization. The leader still has to get results. They still has to have to deliver uh, on, the, on the vision and the, the financial performance. And the magic is to get the people connected to that mission in a way that they're so entwined in it that they almost feel part and committed to it as much as the leader does. That's the beyond servant leadership part. Hey, we're taking a quick break to remind you to support our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a review. Your feedback means the world to us and it helps us continue to bring you more engaging and thought-provoking content for leadership and remote work. Okay, I am a leader. And I've listened to you guys and I'm thinking, wait a minute, guys, I'm in the restaurant business. I'm not in the healthcare business. I'm a leader. I got to get results. I don't have time for this general interest in the well-being of a person. I, I want to be effective. I want to get results. And um, that's just not the part of the job. So thank you so much for your book. Um, but I'll be going right now. What would be your response? I'd ask him to... Uh look at his uh, turnover rate statistics because people know when they're being treated that way and it doesn't, li it doesn't engender high retention rates in employees. It never has, and especially these days. So um, it's the great resignation problem, uh, Mitch. Uh, we have a lot of that right now, people checking out. And for those who don't have time, you're going to pay me now, pay me later, but you're going to pay me once uh, with regard to the connection of people. Bob, I want to get, I want to get Phil's response, but I, Bob, I want to ask you, um, prior to COVID, was this the job of a leader? Was the leader's job or has the leader's job always been the general interest of the well-being of an employee? Like when did we, when did that occur? What, what was the date when leadership occurred as general interest of each employee. 
Well, I think that uh, there's been a there's been a consciousness about that for a long time. There's also been a consciousness of other leaders who think the command model is better. And so um, we're not of one mind about this, depending on who you're talking to. But the depth of the, the concern about employees and the care for employees, at least the way we're purporting it, is, is, uh, is the need for it is building and I don't think it's being recognized yet in leadership circles to the degree it needs to, or these statistics would be much different. And I would argue that all these books behind me are full of full of, uh, uh, of people, biographies I've read of what I consider to be really great leaders. And you look at really great leaders, a lot, at, the, at the core, they did care about, in a deep way, about the people that reported to them. And uh, they had this sense, and you can look at, find historical examples of, you know, people who've made very tough decisions. We cite Eisenhower, for example, which I went back and reread as a result mm -hmm. of, um, of thinking through this in ways. And, and you can find historical examples. So I would argue that to some extent, the great leaders have always understood that it's about, that that's what leadership is all about. And what has happened is we've had a lot of people come along and kind of offer full leadership principles <laughs> that say, do this, do that, and you'll be a great leader, but they never integrate them in a way that says, hey, this is about the people that you're working with and investing in them. And I, th I would argue that that's, that's where the, the disconnect has occurred. And part of it's occurred by people like me, you know, and uh, who are professors, and we teach one skill, and we teach another skill, but we never teach how to integrate them in a way that, uh, with their beliefs, that allow them to really thrive and become great leaders. And to, to pick up on that, that, that line of, of thought, these great leaders that Phil talks about, certainly many of them, but it takes more than one great leader in an organization to create a climate of positive leadership. There's a whole series of leaders, the top guy, the next people down, the next people down. And if you don't have a full set of, we'll use the term, caring leaders all the way through that organization, you'll see the conflict, you'll see the mismatch, and the employees under that leader will see a much different environment than the ones reporting to someone who has the, the touch with people. And that's, we don't do a good enough job at all training and teaching people how to be good leaders. Right. What do the best leaders do? So when, I, when I'm uh, demonstrating care as a leader, um, what am I doing that the, that the other leaders are not doing? Well, now, now you're getting to the, 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 the premise of the book. In the book, the, the, there's two parts in the book. The first part of the book is a set of five core leadership beliefs. And the second part of the book is nine everyday leadership practices. The beliefs are things, uh, and we'll talk about them, but they're things about how people think about their responsibilities as a leader. And the practices are what they do every day or how they implement the beliefs. Um, the two are interrelated. 
You can't, you, there's some people, as Phil just mentioned, that have a, a handful of practices that they use every day, but they don't have an underlying thinking routine or a belief structure that reinforces those. So they're, they're shallow. It doesn't come across as genuine. On the other hand, there are people who are, let's say, theoretical or philosophical about their beliefs about leadership, but they don't know how to put them into practice. What this book prescribes is that you have to have both. You have to have a set of beliefs and practices. And as Phil was saying before, they're completely interrelated. And then within the beliefs and within the practices, those are interrelated. And we can we can give you some examples. Do you want to pick it up? Sure. I mean, if you're interested, I mean, I think one of the things that that I noticed when we started this this idea of trying to put this all together uh, the book and the idea of the framework, et cetera, was that I had experienced a lot of uh, professionals that had a a practice that worked well short-term but didn't work well long-term. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so we would notice things like, uh, one of the things I would notice that would give you a good example of it is what I call toxic positivity, where you have... Um, in fact, I could I it was when we were writing it, I could name five employees directly that quit their jobs, great employees because of toxic positivity. And that is and it was during COVID, so you know it's a little that they that they quit. So it was a little dicey for them to, to go out there and, and make these these big time decisions. Uh, but they made it because their boss you know, kind of did one practice, which was to build people up and encourage people, which is a great caring skill. But when push came to shove and there were problems, they said, well, you'll figure something out. You're great. And they realized they are, their problems were never taken seriously and never seriously addressed and, and, and challenges that were outside their control. And that's a classic example of somebody who has a skill, perhaps, that works short term, but long term doesn't probably do it and you end up creating an environment of toxic positivity where everything is you know cheerleaders and uh, and and great but it's really not underneath it right so one of the things to uh one leadership practice you should not practice is, is toxic positivity um what are what are some of the of the nine practices what are some of your favorite practices the, the best practices yeah. Well, one of, the, one, of the, one of the practices that I think uh, is the foundational is the idea of coaching uh, individual employees and mm-hmm. your your key people. And so much of um, so much of the uh, uh, of the idea of the framework is that you have to have a good relationship with the people who report to you directly. And uh, I've done surveys. This is how I you know for years and for thirty or forty years I've been re- doing research on. Um, employee communication and the number one predictor almost to a, I mean it happened over 40 years pre-covid post-covid etc is about whether you're going to be motivated whether you're going to be committed to the organization whether you're satisfied with your job the number one predictor is the direct the relationship with your immediate supervisor and that is the foundational uh, skill I would say is the coaching in regard to that relationship between the supervisor and the employee. And I can go on to others, but uh, you actually had one just a minute ago, which I love. I was giving you a thumbs up. I don't know if you saw it, but you were kind of pushing back on one of our ideas. And right. and I said, 
bravo because push transforming pushback into into progress it yeah. creates greater understanding so the whole idea of learning how to use pushback uh, as a tool for creating greater understanding and improvement even on our own ideas or whatever is really fundamental to uh, a great uh, great leader and they've got to learn to manage that in a, in a really powerful way right I mean the other side of pushback the other side of pushback which is another practice is you've got to be a great communicator now everybody says that uh, mm -hmm. the, the question is what does that mean uh, first of all leaders have to decide to communicate about the things that matter to the employee and the things that matter to the organization oftentimes leaders communicate about things that matter to the organization and they don't connect it to the things that how those translate into the things that matter to the employee you've got to do both and you've got to you've got to use multiple channels you've got to use uh, multiple methods whether it's written or spoken or team meetings or town hall meetings transparency in communications is so important when something goes wrong you've got to be immediately transparent and uh, uh, tell people what you know and what you don't know and because if you don't the skepticism starts to build the dissent starts to build and the idea is that something else must must be there must be hiding things from us and you have to avoid that at all costs. So that's communication. And the listening side of communication interacts with the coaching uh, uh, practice because I often think about when a, when a supervisor and an employee are talking, you should record the number of minutes that the supervisor is talking and the number of minutes that the employee is talking and put it up on a screen in front of you. All too often, most of the talking is done by the leader and not enough by the listening and not enough by the employee. And that's not communicating. You have to be a great listener when you're communicating. So that's an example of the depth of a practice that needs to be done better. Question for you gentlemen. And the, we were, when COVID started, it was, you know, pretty much everyone was working five days a week out of the office. Now we're, there's a move now to move people back to the office two days a week, three days a week, five days a week. Are you seeing workplaces, those that are, those people who are moving back, are you seeing those places become more caring? Are you seeing um, bosses say, hey, we're going to get these people back. And once they're back, we're going to show them care and love and um, attention to what they're up to. Or are you not seeing that? Not I'm not seeing, seeing enough of that. People are so focused on getting people back, mm -hmm. getting them back under some set of conditions or getting into a hybrid mode that that objective in itself seems to be the, you know, the primary objective. Now, how we do that, there's some amount of perhaps uh, trinkets and tokens and enticements that might be used. And uh -huh. that's fine. But it's not too deep. I mean, it's not the thing that's going to sit down with an employee and say, let's talk about, you know, you coming back and your career now and what do you want to do post-COVID and how are we going to work together and all the things that have a deeper sense of caring. There's not enough of that. 
there's not enough of, there wasn't enough of that going into COVID and there's not enough of it going out, which is exactly the point of our book, Mitch, that we think that the, the word care is not a word that's associated very much with leadership. Google it and see how much you find. You don't find much. You find other words, but that's not one of them. And I think when you start to use words that have meaning like that, you start to do it more. So we need to start to use the word and understand what it is and then start to change habits to care more deeply about people and outcomes. You know, okay, so I'm definitely following your logic on that because I saw, <clears throat> if we go back when um, when COVID first happened, is people left, they were at home, they were, you know, going through whatever they're going through. And what we heard was when we started this podcast that bosses were very, very concerned with their situation. Now that people are coming back against their will or or because they want to come back, if you don't have a plan on how you are going to take care of people in this new uh, new slash old um, experience called going to the office, um, you're going to really blow it, yeah. it sounds like. Well, I would argue that, I mean, the, the opportunity we discussed earlier, Mitch, was really important. And that is a lot of people at working at home discovered there was a productivity gain on their part from working at home. Mm -hmm. And yet if they see their time being wasted and mm -hmm. not used in a, in a maximum, a maximizing way when they return to the workplace, then we've lost all that knowledge that we gained through COVID. Yeah. And I think that's a real tragedy in some ways. I'll give you one specific example. Yeah. Um, I, prior to COVID, there was a company I was working with and I asked, I did some analysis of their meeting structure. And one of the, I did a law, a survey, a short survey, but one of the questions was what three word, top three words describe what goes on in most meetings? Well, how would you describe them? The number one word was information. And on the surface, that might sound good. But if you think mm -hmm. about it over the long term, the really the, the word we'd be looking for is a word like collaboration. Right. You have to do some information sharing, but there are a lot of information sharing that can be shared in other other uh, formats. So it's that opportunity that we haven't that I think if they if we come back and we don't really seize that opportunity where everybody had the light bulb go on, well, heck, I'm a heck of a lot more productive on X, Y, and Z task um, at home. Then, and they come back to the office and they say, well, now my time's being bled away by these other activities. Then we've just thrown away all the potential learning from COVID. Mm. And that's, that's a huge loss in my view. And that, frankly, is intellectual leadership on the part of the leaders. They have to, to say, these are the things that we value in a collective environment, a collaborative environment. These are the things that we value and they're extremely important that we do together. And it's extremely important to do it even face to face. Collaboration, you know, deep collaboration is another one of the practices that are in the second part of the book. And mm -hmm. uh, collaboration is a, another word that's easily misunderstood or, or not taken far enough. Because the model, the, 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 the environment that I see happen all too often is the team of people gets together either in a room or virtually on a screen and the leader kicks it off and gets it started. And so that's the first voice. And then there's a couple other voices that are brave enough to talk. And uh, there's a bunch of silent voices. 
who are either waiting to talk or too afraid to speak up with their ideas. And so they're never heard. And then they leave the room and the dissent happens in the hallway. Um, and there's no discussion or no meaningful discussion, no meaningful analysis of alternate approaches, no new ideas that get brought in when it's the leader's job not to proclaim the answers, but to mm -hmm. bring people together and to look for those people who aren't speaking and draw out the, the voices that aren't being heard and make it safe for them to talk and then, and then uh, try to come up with even better solutions than you would have had if you listened to the people with the loudest voices. That's a skill that leaders need to improve a lot on. Yeah, it sounds like, so my walk away from uh, this podcast really is uh, your book would be a fantastic guide to really support great workplaces, especially as people bring people back to work, you know, one day, two day, three day, five days a week. Um, what I'd like to know is how can we find you, gentlemen? How can we find your book? Right. So we're both on LinkedIn. That's our, okay. our social media uh, uh, access. And we have a website for the book. It's called leadingwithcare.net. Altogether, leadingwithcare.net. It's a great website. Uh, it has information about us and contact information. It has uh, information about the book. It has training materials and presentation materials. It's also got all the podcasts we've done. We've got several media articles that have been placed about it. Mitch, as soon as your podcast with us airs, it'll be number one on our website list. So uh, we look forward to that. And uh, so it's a great website. People should, people should use it. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Bob. And thank you, Phil. This is a great uh, podcast. Um, it's close to my heart, um, having leaders learn how to lead with care. Um, if you've loved this podcast, please share this episode with your friends, your colleagues, your family, and we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Before we sign off for today, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us grow, and by subscribing, you'll be the first to know when our exciting next episode is available.